taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to this message. This is the Journey Church Podcast. Our hope is that it leads you closer to Jesus and encourages you to live your life on mission for Him. For more information about our church and how you can get involved in what God is doing at Journey, please visit jrny.church. Welcome to Journey Church. My name is Steve. I'm going to get the opportunity to speak with you over the next few moments. Uh, if you've never been to church before, I kind of want to give you a rundown of what typically goes on at Journey. Our, our services usually last between an hour, hour, and 10 minutes, and so you're halfway through if you're wondering how long until the end is going to be. Uh, we sing for the first half usually, and then we open up the Bible. We believe it's God's Word. It says of itself that it's inspired, the inspired Word of God, and it's useful for, for every person in this room. And so we're going to speak. And my, my hope is that God would speak through me and directly to you, that everybody else in this room that's sitting with you right now, that they would almost disappear at all of our campuses, and it would be as if it's you and God for the next few moments. And so uh, last week, we started a new series. If you've never been to church, a series just means uh, we kind of take a topic and we sit there for a few weeks, and then we move on to a different topic. And if you're here long enough, we'll probably cover most things that you have been through or going through, through uh, in your life. Uh, today, we are in the middle of a sermon series we called Just Jesus. And uh, I actually got this thought in my head in August when I was on vacation in Orlando, uh, and I just kept hearing, Just Jesus, Just Jesus. I didn't really know what it meant. I just liked the way that it sounded. It sounded like a cool t-shirt. And so uh, I sat down at my, at my my desk to start to figure out the concept of this sermon series that was going to be about Jesus. I, I kind of narrowed it down to that. And I started to go over my, my, my previous five years of what I've talked about in church, and I realized uh, that it's been almost five years since I talked to you about the significance of sharing your faith. And so I want to apologize if you weren't here last week. I wanted to apologize last week and this week, and I might just keep doing that. I want to apologize to you, because if I just get you here, and this is what you think church is all about, coming to a building, then I'm not doing you a service, that God wants to work with your life. He wants to do something here, and then he wants to do something outside of you. And I want to kind of introduce you to that concept. And so last week, I gave you two foundational uh, statements for this series. First one is, the greatest tragedy in the world today, right now, is somebody living and dying without Jesus. That, that, that's what's wrong with the world, that people need to know Jesus. That's the greatest tragedy. Whatever you think, that's fine. We can put that second. The greatest tragedy is somebody living and dying with, without Jesus. I gave you kind of the why of that last week. I said, here's why that's significant. The gospel, the story of Jesus, answers three really important questions that affect all of us at every one of our campuses and every person you come in contact with. And here's what they are. First problem, every one of us has sinned. Every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us has fallen short of God. Every one of us sins every day, probably every week, maybe every hour. We all fall short of the glory of God. The Bible teaches us that sin separates us from God. But not just now. It separates us from God forever. The Bible says the wages of sin is death and, and hell. So this is not permanent where you're at right now. You know that. You know when you take your next breath that there's, there's eternity. We all know that. We think about that. We are the only creatures that think about death. Your dog does not think about when he's going to die. Right now, he's sitting on his couch waiting for you to come home. That's all he's doing, waiting and looking at the door. Your cat, I don't know what to do. Probably at Satan's service, right? Like probably doing something like that. Like you're, you're nope. Animals don't think about eternity, but the Bible says eternity is on the heart of men. So, so we know there's got to be more than this. And so it tells us in eternity that all of us are sinners. All of us fall short of the glory of God. The wages of our sin is death and hell. But then the Bible says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So everyone has sinned. Sin separates us from God both now and forever. 
But the only way to have your sin forgiven is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the only way the, the Bible says. So with that in mind, that's why it's such a tragedy when people live and die without Christ because their next breath will be separated from God forever. But here is the second greatest tragedy. Now, that's what we believe. The second thing that's staggering is we live in a church world where the biggest problem in the church world is we are filled with people knowing that, or maybe you don't know that, that don't share their faith. So, so you, you have this message that's supposed to be shared, the greatest tragedy is someone living and dying without Christ. And then we live in a culture where nine out of 10 of us that come to church never share our faith. I tried to understand and make this practical, and I'll try to think about something you would comprehend. And so we're American. We love to eat. Can I get it? Can I get it? Amen. Like we, we just, I went to Ocean City, New Jersey this weekend for, for a wedding. I've never been there before. I had really low expectations for Ocean City, New Jersey, and it blew my mind. Like it was actually nice. I didn't know anything was nice in Jersey. And so, and I went there and we went to, we went to some of, some of the, 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 the hot spots, Manco, Manco Pizza. Somebody said that was really good and like all these other things. And I just overate all day long. Like it just, I didn't even care. I'm like, you're, you're at the beach. You just overeat. I'm not having to take my shirt off because it's too cold and I got to do a wedding. So I'm just going over. I'm not worried about what my stomach looks like by the end of this day. I got all weekend to burn this off. And so I just enjoyed it and ate. And I think Americans, we can all relate. Like it's just, we just like, like to eat. It would be like us that love to eat, always are kind of full, overeating going to Africa and seeing these little kids that you, you've seen pictures, they don't have food, they have flies, you know, they have dogs waiting for them to die, they, 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 they legitimately don't have uh, food to eat, and sitting down in front of them and just eating what we normally eat in America, and just being like, what's up? Like, it's not even bothering us, it's not even a big deal, like the kid's looking at my, my pizza, and I don't go, hey, I should buy him pizza, I just look at him, and I just eat the whole piece, and I wipe my mouth, and Maybe I even leave half the crust because I don't want to feel too full, right? Like just a little piece of the crust and of my third piece, by the way. And like I look, look at him and I just kind of give him the heads up and I go. And if somebody ever captured that on the news, they would say of me, you are an inhumane, apathetic, spoiled American, right? They would say, I can't believe you would go to Africa where people are starving for food and feed yourself like you typically do. Like have some courtesy man. Like think outside of yourself. And they, well, I was just hungry, so I ate. Like they, that would be national news. We do that spiritually all the time. You get spiritually full. You come up to the smorgasbord, pull yourself into the shady maple spirituality, pick a couple things, fill yourself up, go into a starving world because the world is starving for truth. They're starving for Jesus. They just don't know it. And they're starving. And you go into a starving world, spiritually full, keep feeding yourself and look around and go, it's not a big deal. They got the flies of Satan all over their head, their bellies, spiritually, they're malnourished. And we look at them, we go, I'm not going to share. That's a tragedy. And so here's what I wanted to do. I wanted to establish why last week. And now I want to take you through the process of what it looks like to share your faith. And here, here's the problem. I don't want to just teach you to be excellent at it. I want to teach you to be effective at it. Not just X, because I think when we think about sharing our faith, uh, we think re religious kind of steps. And oftentimes, I think for Christians, when we think about sharing our faith, we think about people like Jehovah's Witness. And if you've never had a conversation with a Jehovah's Witness, thank God right here. Lift your hands up and thank the Lord. Uh, it's a very difficult conversation. And they always have an agenda. And they are excellent at what they want to talk about. I don't know if you've ever, like, I, I had one come to the church when I first started. I had nothing better to do. It was just me in the office. I was super lonely. And at that point, I would take any company, right? And so I was like the dude on Shipwrecked or whatever that, Tom Hanks talking to a ball in the corner, right? 
And so this guy knocked on my door one time, knocked on it, came in to my church, right? We're not Jehovah's Witness. We are far from Jehovah's Witness. Knocks on the door and says, hey, can I come and talk to you? And I said, at this point, I'll take anybody, right? So he came in, and we spent almost six months dialoguing back and forth. And I, I, re- I listened to him, like, this dude is excellent at sharing his faith. And, and then I started to study, like, Jeho- being a Jehovah's Witness and what it looks like, because it always felt like he would have A, B, and C figured out, and if you went to D, he would already be ahead, ahead, ahead of you at F. And, like, this dude knows everything, and what I figured out is their agenda is not to convert you. Their agenda is just to share their faith with you. They want to be excellent at sharing their faith. They could care less if they ever convert you. Because the point of the Jehovah's Witness is not what they do for you. It's what they get for themselves when they get to heaven. The more they share their faith, the greater the reward will be. They are excellent, but they are not effective. I don't know one person who sees Jehovah's Witness walking up to them in suits in the middle of a 90-degree day and says, this is what I want to deal with today. Like, this is what I want. And here's the thing about it. I want to teach you the same principle because a lot of times Christians are the same way. Like, when you think of sharing your faith, if you've grown up in church, you know different ways, and maybe you've experienced this, but I can just give you a couple of the most ineffective ways that Christians share their faith. You ever been in the middle of a town, and some dude is on a block, or a girl is on the middle of a corner with a big sign telling you, God hates this, and God will kill this, and they're picketing things, and they take out that megaphone, and they start talking and spitting and all these things, and they're even, listen, they even pull Bible verses out, and there is truth in what they're saying, but it's not effective, so they're excellent, but I don't know one person that was like, you're right. You're right. I want right now, I want what you have. <laughs> Said nobody ever. What do you do when you, I'm a pastor. And when I see them, I go complete. I, I don't want to deal with them, right? Like I go to the other side of the road. I don't want to deal with, with you at all. That's unaffected. It might be excellent, unaffected, door to door. And this, because I think I tell you to share your face, some of you are like, oh, God, he's going to help me go to my neighbors. My na- I didn't even talk to my neighbors. Last time I talked to my neighbors, we were throwing stuff back and forth, arguing over trees and leaves and stuff like that. Now I'm going to go talk to my neighbors. I'm going to go knock on their door. I'm going to knock on the thing, and they're going to close the shades up on me. He wants me to go door to door knocking, asking people. He wants me to put a suit on, right, and all this stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. There was another time that people got really excellent in sharing their faith. They did something called tracks. I remember I had one friend in high school, he would pass out tracks, but he would never give them to a physical person. He would go into the stall of a bathroom, he would unwind the complete, the toilet paper all the way down to the, to the, to the brown part, he would put a track back in and wind it back up and then put another track back in and wind it back up. He just figured he had a captive audience in there, right? And so he would put the tracks in and people would do their business and, you know, pull it and the track would fall out. I don't know one person that I, that I heard in there that was getting saved in the middle of the stall. Excellent, not effective, Right? In my day and age, Christians started to get a little more savvy. We started to do what I call nice bomb. And what, what a nice bomb evangelism is, is you just, you, you, you like, you're kind of, you don't know what to say to people, so you just want them to think you're nice, right? And so you're nice to them. And so what do you do? You put on a free meal or something like that. And I, I, I always love this. The church will invite people in that, that need a free meal, and they come in to get the free meal, and then they reverse it on them, and they're like, before you get this free meal, we need to know that you're going to hell, right? And then you get the free meal. Or they walk around, they pass out water bottles, and on the water bottle, it's just not water. It says, do you like this water? We got something even better, living water around the thing, and they pass that out to people. They do really nice things. People might be excellent. I don't know how effective it is. Like if somebody gave me a water bottle, I just drink it and throw it away. I'm not even recycling. I'm just putting it in a trash can, right? All goes to the same place anyways, right? That's a little truth for you. And so been there. And so just a little side, somebody like, they recycle. No, they don't. I got two dumpsters in Franklin Commons. They both own the same trash truck. I'm just telling you, one's recycling, one's not. Total scam. I'm just letting you know. And so it's a little preaching for you. Side thing, Google it. And so, so I want to talk to you today about what it looks like 
to be, to be a witness, what it looks like to share your faith, what, what it looks like, because I don't want any of that to be what, what we're known for. I want to be, be effective at it, and I want to teach you how to do it. I think you actually can share your faith with people in a way that God uses it to actually impact and change, change their life. And so I want to take you into a story in the book of John chapter 1, and I think it's good to always go back to the, to the life of Christ so when you're going through sharing the, the message of Christ. And I want to show you kind of the process of how this works and then give you four things that, that it is. What is evangelism? We're going to start in verse number 43 of John chapter 1. The Bible says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he says to him, follow me. Now, I want you to bring that down for a second. This is the beginning of everybody's relationship with Jesus Christ. If you haven't had this moment, you're not a, you're not a follower of Christ. You're not a Christian yet. You might come to church, but there is a moment in your life when you stand in the presence of the, the sovereign living God and he, he, he talks to you, maybe not verbally, but you can feel him. Or maybe you hear the word of God. And the word of God is to turn away from your old life, your, who you are, and to turn your life towards Jesus. This is the beginning of every one of our relationships with him. The moment where he says, follow me. He doesn't say, clean yourself up. He doesn't say, you're good enough, look you up and down. He just looks at you and says, I love you, and I want to be in a relationship with you. Follow me. And the Bible says, Philip hears him. You can bring it back up, and he begins to follow him. The Bible says, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And then watch what happens instantly, because this is how it's supposed to work. Philip finds Nathaniel and tells him, because Nathaniel is his brother, and something amazing has just happened to him. So he finds Nathaniel. He said, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. This is what Nathaniel says. I love this. He says, Nazareth, can anything good come from here? Take that down for one second. Some of you that just went right over your head. You know, like, where's Nazareth? Town up there in Bethlehem somewhere, right? Pennsylvania. Like, what does that, what does that mean? What he's saying is, church, ha, huh, church sucks. That's what he's saying. Nazareth, nobody, like, there's religious people. And there's, they come from certain towns. They never come from Nazareth. You ever get that reaction when you ask somebody to come to church with you? I'm not going to church with you. Why? Church is great. Church is awful. I've seen documentaries. I've seen people on the corners. I know what God hates. Nothing good happens at church. If you haven't asked that, you're asking the wrong people to come with you, by the way. If you ask church people to come to church with you, you're asking the wrong people. You're supposed to be a fisher of men. You're not supposed to go into somebody's aquarium and grab out the goldfish and bring it with you. That's called a lawsuit, right? You go ask, and you ask people that don't normally go to church. Let me tell you some, some, some endings of conversations all the time. Hey, hey, what do you do? I'm a pastor. That's why I always tell people I help people. I'm kind of like counselor, psychiatrist, you know, Tony Robbins meets... Dr. Laura, right? Something like that. You say pastor, it's like, eh, I know what you want. You want my money. And you want this. And then if you ever say to somebody, why don't you want to come to church with me? No, I don't. I can think of a million other areas I'd rather go. I'd rather lay on a nail bed, a bed of nails. I'd rather watch cement dry on a wall. I'd rather get my eyebrows plucked as a dude then sit through three hours of church with you, right? Like, no, I don't want to do that. So this is what he's saying. This is why it's so, it's so good. He says, I don't want to go to Nat. Nothing good. Nothing good comes from there. Let's keep going. The Bible says, uh, the Bible says that Nathaniel asks, and then it says to Philip, it says, come and see. We're going to come back to that in a second. Come and, and see. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here's an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel says, how do you know, how do you know me? Like, how, how, do you, how do you know me? Who told you about me? 
And Jesus says this, I love this. He says, I saw you while you were still under that fig tree before Philip called you. Isn't that amazing? Before Philip was even thinking about talking to you, I was thinking about talking to you. That's a whole different sermon for some of you. You think God is not worried about you, caring about you, thinking about you. Long before you ever pulled up into this parking lot, God has been planning this day out before the foundations of the world. He says, I've been thinking about you before Philip was thinking about you. The Bible says that he says to Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. You're going to see even greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So let me just give you four insightful things that I've learned in my life and share my faith. Because I'm not telling you to do something I don't do. And I know it's awkward, and I know it's weird, and I know sometimes when you say something about church that all of a sudden all these red flags go off on people. And it's even weirder for me because when I'm, I invite somebody to church, I'm actually inviting them to come watch me talk. It's kind of cocky. Sometimes I don't even tell them. I just say, come to church. And then I say, hey, see, hey, hey, it's good to see you at church, right? And so I want to give you what I've learned in my life that I want you to apply in your life because I want you to be effective, not just excellent. I'm not teaching you apologetics. I'm not teaching you how to stand up and defend your faith. I'm not teaching you how to win arguments. I think if you have something that's true, you don't have to win anything. I think your life will do the speaking. And I think you see that in this, this story. But let me just give you a couple things I know. What does it look like? One... It's as simple as this. You ready? It's sharing something you love with someone you love. Share, talking about Jesus with people is simply sharing something you love with, with, with someone you love. And he, here's the problem with so many of us and so, what so many of us have experienced. When the person stands on the street corner yawning at everybody, he might love God, but does he love people? Does he have any relationship with them? When you walk up to somebody that you don't know, and you hand them a water and you try to go full force on the you know, trajectory of their life and how they're going to spend eternity in hell. And you don't even know their name. You don't have that platform. When you, when you, when you move in somewhere and all of a sudden, like, I'm going to live for the Lord. And you've never talked to your neighbors. You've never offered to protect their mail. You've never taken out their dogs. You've never taken care of their cats. I have taken care of my neighbor's cats now, people. Cats. And you have never done any of that. And all of a sudden, you move into the neighborhood, and you're like, burr, 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 burr. the Jesus bus is here. <laughs> and you, do you love them? Do you have a platform in their life? You see, this is what's so interesting, is you'll see this in this moment of evangelism, that Philip is related to Nathaniel. And so Jesus has came and impacted Philip's life. We don't know what the conversation is like, by the way. We don't know what happened. I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't walk up and go, hey, follow me. I mean, they don't know who he is. He's just the son of a carpenter at this point. He's 30 years old. Them are fighting words, right? If one dude says that to another guy, they don't know who Jesus is. And so we don't know the whole story. But I would say, I'm pretty confident in saying that some other conversation happened with Philip before Jesus said, follow me. Maybe Jesus said, hey, I was watching you fish the other day while I was in Bethlehem. I was thinking about you fishing on the Sea of Galilee. I didn't see you. And he was going, how did you see? And, you know, I saw you doing that. You weren't catching much. And I saw you struggling and all this stuff and all these things. And all, Philip is having the same reaction Nathaniel is about to have when Jesus tells him. And he's going, oh, my gosh, this dude is not just a man. This, this guy sounds like God. Like, he knows things about me only God could know. And then Jesus leans in because he loves Philip, because he came for Philip. That's who he came for, us down across. And he says, follow me. And the Bible says Philip begins to follow him. It's sharing something you love with someone you love. And here's why this is so important. 
uh, they did a study, and they, they figured out how people get to church. And, I, and I, I always find it interesting because I think we think, you know, people just come to church. And I think it's funny because that's not, the, that's not true of the culture we live in. And I know from my, like if I wasn't a follower of Christ and I was outside of the church and I started going through some stuff, I don't think the church would be the first place I look in the yellow books. I think I would find bars and I would find dating sites and I would find a new job and I would get a doctorate and I would do something like that. Like church is not the first place people think when they think, you know what, I need help. I'm going to go there because that's filled with nice people. That's not what people think. And so here's what's so interesting. They, they ask people, how did you get to church? 3% said I had a need. Uh, 3% said I just walked in. I don't know who those three people are. That's a bad morning, right? I just walked in to church. I was there, right? Uh, 6% said they liked the pastor or minister or priest. 1% said I, I visited from time to time. 5% said they liked the Bible classes. 0.5% said they liked the gospel meeting. And the reason that is because nobody knows what that is. And so 3% said they liked the programs. And watch this, 79.5%, so 80% of people. You know how they got to church? Their friend invited them. Their friend loved them enough and were impacted by the love of Christ enough to open up their mouths and say, hey, why don't you come to church with me? And here's the kicker. You're not inviting them to church. You're inviting them to Christ. And so Philip comes to him and says, I got to tell you about this guy named Jesus. He says, I want to bring you to him. And he shares something that he loves with someone that, that, that he loves. I, I always say, like, I try to explain this to people. Like, how does this work? When you're excited about something, don't you just talk about it? It just happens naturally. Like for years, I would talk about this in sermons, and I would say, I'll talk to you about barbecue, but I want to go a little deeper with you today. And so I want you to kind of, because I've used that illustration. So one of the breakthroughs I had in my life this year is I love to smell good. Anybody else? I like, I like to not smell like B.O. I like to not smell like dirty hair. I like to smell decent, and, but I don't like to pay the money. Like you ever go to like boss calls, and you're like, it's 100 bucks for this? There's got to be a better way. So my better way for about six months, for the last six months of the year, uh, prior to this, uh, this breakthrough I had, was I would go to Gabe's uh, at the mall, Coventry Mall. You've never been to Gabe's? You should go to Gabe's. And I would go to the cologne section, and Gabe's has knockoff, knockoff, knockoff cologne uh, of famous brands. It's like $2.99. That's my price range. But when you spend $2.99, you get that $2.99 smell. So it might smell good coming on, but it don't smell good after a few, few moments. And so I didn't like that. So I started Googling because I'm old. And my wife said to me a couple years ago, she said, you can't wear Curve anymore. And I said, Curve is, you know, is awesome. Curve is old school. Curve is right. She said, yeah, you like Curve because you're old. And I said, no, I'm there. And I said, it worked for you. Like you smelled it and you liked it. She said, we were 21. We're 40 years old. You need to figure out what young men are wearing. And so I Googled what young men are wearing and took me through a list of like young and upcoming colognes and they're expensive. So I got online. One, one cologne was Adventist. I Google searched Adventist. I don't even know if that's how you say it. It was 300 or $400 a bottle. I was like, I'll stick with the Gabe's. I'm already married, right? So then I got online. I went to Amazon and I just started Googling. And what I Googled was knockoff versions of, of, of expensive, popular, young male cologne, right? <laughs> exactly what I searched. And this, this company came up, and it's $7.95, so it caught my attention just like that. Oil of a knockoff of, of these colognes. And so I ordered this Adventist cologne. I never smelled Adventist in my life. I don't know if it smells like it or not. I'm never going to smell that. I'm not even going to squirt that. I'm not even going to pick up a $400 bottle of cologne because I don't want to break it. And so I put it on, and I, I literally, I had a hospital visit. I put it, it's on a roller thing, like old school, like, oh, and I put this on, and I put it on my neck and behind, and I, and I went into the, to this hospital to visit somebody, and I was standing at the, the place where, like, the older ladies register you, and she was like, ooh, you smell good. 
And I was like, yeah, I, could. I was like, yeah, I do. And that, that began a series of people being like, what are you wearing? What, what are you wearing? And listen, I love to save money, and I love to smell good, and I love to tell people where I got it, not because I get anything from it, but it has impacted and changed my financial life, right? And it makes me smell good. And so it just goes, well, where you smell good? Let me tell you where I got it. Let me show you the link. Let me pull my phone out. You got time? I'll take you right to it. I'll do whatever I can to share with you this amazing deal that I'm getting, and it makes you smell good for hours upon hours, and it just comes out. And so if you want to talk to me after church about Jesus or Cologne, we can meet in the hallway when you're leaving but it just gets me pumped why because it's changed my life same principle for jesus i say all that to bring when jesus changed your, changes your life just like he did philip when you share your faith with people it's simply you sharing about something you love with someone that you love jesus has changed your life it just comes out naturally let me give you just a couple more things that we see in this story number two it invites in a language that is under, understandable. It invites in a language that is understandable. You ever hear the statement, you can be so heavenly minded you're no earthly good? Now, I don't know if I 100% agree with that because I think the more heavenly minded you are, the more mission minded you'll be on this earth. The more you think about what's to come, the less you'll focus on what temp temporarily is. But I do think you can become so churchy minded that you are of no value on this earth. I think you can get so comfortable uh, and so unaware of the things that we do in church and how we act as Christians that you don't really understand that a lot of what we do doesn't make sense. Like if you think about it, come to church with me. When we, we think about church, what do we know? We're going to come in. We're going to sing a few songs. We're going to sit down. He's going to talk. We're going to get some coffee. I'm going to know everybody. I know the signs. I know the parking lot guy. That's my man right there. Like we just kind of roll in here and roll out. Have you ever thought about how terrifying it is to somebody who's never been to church? Like they're going to walk in. It's going to be dark. And when, when they walk in, there's going to be music going, but it's not like typical church music. And then, you know, maybe they sit down and then somebody's going to talk and they're going to, it's just the whole experience, if you think about it, is terrifying. That's why, by the way, we do a lot of what we do. That's why we want to meet people as quick as we can in the parking lot to let them know, we're glad that you're here today. We're, we're, we, we hope we're normal people just like you. That's why we play music that, that we play before service. Like we're not just trying to be cool, but could you imagine if somebody walked in, we had monks playing? Like, like, like we just play normal music you would hear at a store or at the restaurant. And when you walk in, want people to go, oh, this place isn't that, that, that weird. We seek people. We greet people. Everything we do is so that we make sure that we're sharing the message of Jesus in an understandable way. Because a lot of times what we do, people don't understand. How we share stuff. You just walk up and somebody say, you're going to hell. That is not understandable to somebody. That, that, that freaks them out. If you walk up to them and say, Jesus died on the cross for you. Like, it's so normal to us. What does that mean? What, what, what does that look like? How, how, does that, how is that understandable? And so you see in this moment what Philip does. I love it. He comes to Nathaniel. He doesn't say, yeah, I met Jesus. He's going to go down the cross for you. He says, I think I met Jesus, the guy me and you have been reading about in Sunday school and in church and in our parents' home for, for our life. I think, I think that he has shown up. The guy we've been re reading about, the guy that's been, that they've been predicting, all the prophecies that we've learned, I think that he's here. So for us, we're going, I don't really understand all that because I didn't live in that culture. But for Nathaniel, he's speaking in a way that is easy for him to, to understand. And so what I want to teach you is to invite people in a language that is understandable. In other words, the pressure is on us to make sense of Jesus and not the other way around. 
kind of like when you go to France, if you're an American, do you say hello to people and say, that means bonjour, figure it out? Or what do you say? You say bonjour. You learn their language, not the other way around. And oftentimes in the church world, what we do is we put the pressure on other people. You figure this out. That's why when I preach, I'll say, hey, we're going to talk for 30 minutes. I know what people are thinking, new people. They're thinking, how long is this going to be? Because that's what I'd be thinking. How much longer are you going to talk? That's why I have points every week. I want you to know we're almost done. We're about to land this thing. I'm about to pray. And maybe if you're uncomfortable, I'm going to get you out of here. But we're going to speak in a way that is easy for people to understand. That's what evangelism is. It puts the pressure on us and not the other way around. That's why I love what it says in Acts 15. It says, it's my judgment that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. The Gentiles are just a Christian word or a Bible word for people that don't yet know Christ. We are not going to make it difficult for people to get to Jesus. Let me give you two more real quick. Number three, uh, evangelism, it's okay dealing with disbelief and cynicism. When you share your faith, here's what you need to be aware of. Sometimes people are going to tell you no. Sometimes people are going to tell you you're stupid. Sometimes you're going to say something about church and somebody's going to go off on a rampage because it seems like unchurched people know just, about, just as much about church as church people do. And they're going to tell you everything that's wrong with the, with the, the fundamental doctrines of the church and the, and the organization, how they just want money. They're going to tell you they saw these movies on the History Channel and all these things. Some of them are going to tell you these really bad things happened to me in my personal life at church, and I'm never going to go there. Some of them are just going to tell you I will never go there. It'll, it'll light on fire. Some of them are going to say I got better things to do. And the thing about Philip that I love is when he goes to Nathaniel and he says, hey, you should come and meet Jesus. And Nathaniel goes, nothing good comes from there. I love Philip's reaction. Because I think there's always two options for Christians. I think the first option for us oftentimes when we invite somebody to church and they say they're not coming or they say it's stupid or they say it's not right or not, not real or whatever, our first response oftentimes as Christians because we want to be defenders and we think God needs us to defend him is we get offended and angry. And we yell at them. And you'll see in this story that's not what happened at all. But I think sometimes this is our reaction. And here's what I'm trying to teach my, my 12-year-old soccer players, and I want to teach you the same thing. Confidence is always calm. It's always calm. Last week, we, we had a soccer game, and you know, they, they, they played pretty well. One of the things that happened is they were being kind of punky and cocky and, and talking trash, and I didn't hear them. And that's not certainly the type of players that I want to have on my team. And so after the game was over, I said, good job playing. I said, but what we're going to work on next week is we're going to play and keep our mouth shut. We, we can win and we can play well, we can be aggressive, and we can even dominate. Even though the league says not to dominate, we can dominate. But what we're not going to do is we're not going to dominate and talk trash. We're not going to be up in people's faces. We're not going to kick the ball out of their hands. We're not going to, we're going to score a goal. We're going to run back. We're going to get in line. We're going to shake hands. We're going to walk off the field because that's what confident people do. Cocky people are always loud and have bravado and want to make sure you know they're good, but confidence just kind of is calm. And listen, if you know something's real, you don't need to prove it and argue it. You don't need to prove it and argue it. You can talk to, about pe to people about Jesus, and you can sit back, and they can say, Jesus is fake, Jesus is this, and you know Jesus has changed your life, and you can stay calm, just like Philip did. You don't see him going, you don't know nothing, Nathaniel. You're, you, you, mom and dad said you were a mistake. You've always been a pain in the butt. You know what? I'm going to get my other brother. Watch, watch what he says. He says this to him. He says, just come and see. Calmly. 
He doesn't get mad. He doesn't get offended. He knows what the Bible teaches, the forgiveness of God. It's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. It's the knocking at the door of people's hearts. Even though they say no and they keep running, he still whispers in their heart that kindness, that kindness, that love, that forgiveness. And he just stays back and he says, listen, just come. Just come and see. And by the way, sometimes this takes more than one time. Sometimes you tell somebody about church and they don't come right away. I've experienced this in my life with neighbors and, and people that I've done business with. And sometimes you invite them again, and sometimes you have little conversations along the way, and sometimes you invite them again, and I'm going to talk to you about this in a few weeks, and then sometimes they go through something in life that has been placed there by God to look rock bottom where they go, now it's time, and you have planted seeds in their life of come and see, come and see. You've never gotten mad. You've never argued with them. You've never tried to prove them wrong. You've never won the battle spiritually but lost the war with them personally, and all of a sudden they're coming to church, and you're like, God, how did this happen? It's, I stayed calm, just come. Just come and see. And no, number four is really, really important. I love this one. It's all about Jesus doing the heavy lifting. I think sometimes we think if I invite people to church and they don't come in here and start bawling and crying and the pastor doesn't preach the exact right message and the band is kind of flat that day and the, the parking lot people are weak and all that stuff, and they don't get that experience. Like, they're not going to change. And we carry this weight with us. Like, like I'm the one going to change them. And I get it. I do the same thing with my sermon. So I'm working, and the gravity of what, what, what's going to happen on Sunday, like, it legitimately causes anxiety and fear. Like, this isn't that good. Nothing good's going to happen from this. And so I get the gravity of it, and I constantly come back to the truth. And the truth is that only Jesus does the heavy lifting. Only Jesus. You see what happens in the story. Nathaniel, we can't really see him, but we can picture him. I don't know how he looks. Uh, but I know he didn't want to go. I know he didn't believe him. So I love this because I, I see this at church sometimes. I see people invite their family and friends. And you, you know the people who are happy to be here, people that are not happy to be here. We're just like that. So that sometimes people come in and you can just feel it. You, you see it. Sometimes I'm preaching and they're sleeping. I'm like, it's that bad, huh? And you can just see it. You see it when people pull in their, their parking spot. You see, you see all that. And if you like that, it's fine. I'll tell you this. I'm just glad you're here. I don't care if you're here and you're mad. I don't care if somebody bribed you that you're here. I don't care if you're never coming back again. We're just going to consider this a privilege and an honor to be together right now. And I pray that it's, it's going to be some kind of fruitfulness from it. So Nathaniel comes. I don't know how Philip got him to come besides just saying, come and see. He didn't argue with him. He said, let's just, let's just go see. And so the Bible says Nathaniel shows up. And as soon as he gets to Jesus, Jesus starts talking to him, which I think happens at church. I think the conversations are happening, the sermon's happening, but the main, the main words that are powerful and effective are actually coming from God straight to people. It happens sometimes. People will be like, yeah, yeah, when you were preaching last week and before that, you were talking right to me. They'll be in Montgomeryville. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? They're like, yeah, you said this. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I didn't say that. I preached on serving. You're talking about, you know, addiction. They're like, you talked right to me. I'm like, no, I don't think you really heard my sermon. I think something else was there that day, though. I think the presence of God was there. And so Nathaniel shows up, and what, what does Jesus say? Hey, here comes a Jew that follows all the, the rules and regulations, this upstanding guy. And Nathaniel's like, me? And he's like, yeah, you. And he comes over. He was like, yeah, I was watching you. I was watching you where you on a fig tree. You know, over in town, I saw you sitting there. You ever have a moment in church where you're like, oh, crap. 
what, what, what did you see? And the message is that long before Nathaniel was thinking about Jesus, Jesus was thinking about Nathaniel. And all of a sudden, his heart begins to, to soften, and we know that he forms a relationship with Jesus because he becomes one of his 12 disciples. He walks for the next three years with them. He watches them do miracles. He watches them walk on water. He watches them die on the cross and rise from the dead. He, he's part of his resurrection. He's a part of the day of Pentecost. He's a part of the early church. We don't know everything that happened to Nathaniel, but we know this moment changed everything. And it doesn't happen without Philip saying, come and see, but he didn't do anything else besides that. And I think sometimes we, we carry the weight of the change, and it's not in our hands. I had a pastor friend tell me years ago, and I've shared this at every Welcome to Church night, about asking people to receive Christ at the end of our service. And for years I didn't do it because I was worried nobody would respond. So I was like, I'm not going to ask. Just let the Holy Spirit do what He wants to do. And I read something one time, and it said, you're not a failure if you ask and nobody responds. You're only a failure if you don't ask. And it's always stuck with me. So every Sunday at the end, we're going to do it just like this. I say, man, there's people here maybe don't know Christ. And it's a decision you have to make. Just like Philip, when he said, follow me, you turn your life. Just like Nathaniel, you come to Christ. That, that moment is offered every week at Journey Church. And you need to take it. And if you need to take it, today is your day. And I lead people. And sometimes people put their hands up and sometimes people don't. But when I do it and I lay my head on the pillow at nighttime, I know I've done what I'm supposed to do because I don't change anybody's life. It's not the significance of my message or the words or how entertaining or how deep that I was. It's only through the power of Jesus. He does the heavy lifting. And the same thing is true in your friend's life. You're not a failure when you ask and somebody doesn't come. You're a failure when you don't ask. You're not a failure when you bring somebody here and, and maybe they don't get saved at the end of service and they walk away and they look unchanged. Man, you don't know what God did there. You don't know if he snuck something in the back door of their life, so to speak, where they don't even realize it's there, and they go into their old way of life, and all of a sudden the Spirit of God begins to move, and somebody else comes along the way because you planted the seed, and they till the ground, and then somebody else comes a little bit later, and they water it, and eventually the harvest begins to grow in their life. Their life begins to be changed by Christ. You don't know what's happening. So the pressure is not on you because the power is not in you. Only Jesus can change people's lives. But I think it's a heart's desire. The very first verse that I was going to read today that I just kind of skipped right over, you can catch it in your notes. Paul says, I just want people to be saved. That's the, that's the heart of everything. I just want people to know Christ. And that's us. If you don't know Christ, I just want you to know the love and the grace and the mercy and the redemption of Jesus Christ born, crucified, put in a grave, rose on the third day. He ascended to heaven. He sits at the right hand of God. He intercedes for you by name, friend, to come into relationship with him. And this day is not an accident. If you were invited here today, you were invited for a reason. If you wandered in here today, you're one of those three out of a hundred people, we're glad you're here. If you're at the end of yourself and you're ready to give yourself to Jesus Christ, he is here waiting for you. And it would be my privilege and honor at all of our campuses to lead you in a prayer. So what I want you to do, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me just for a second. I love talking about Jesus, friend. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power. It's the power to save and change people just like me.
just like you. So I guess my my altar call will be twofold today at all of our campuses. I guess the first one uh, would be to pray for the Christians in the house that you would understand the scope and the weight of the opportunity that you have, but you would also not carry the weight of it with you. And your job is to open up your mouth just like Philip said, come and see. Come see what the Lord can do in your life. Come experience his love and his mercy. That we would begin to be in a church that's inviting people every week, every day, every hour, every meeting, every family dinner, every opportunity that we have that we would live with intention and purpose. That we know time is short. That we know tomorrow is not promised. That we know of the opportunity that we have. But I also want to pray for those in this room that as I was talking, that as I spoke about God doing the lifting, Jesus doing the drawing, that as I spoke, you could actually feel God doing that. I can't explain to you how that felt. I, I remember it. Uh, the Bible says it's like a knocking at the door of your heart. I, I remember it more of a burning. And it's unmistakably in, in that moment of my life, it was unmistakable that something outside of me was drawing me. And I was in church just like you, you were. And I remember in that moment, I could just feel the presence of God. And I remember I just said yes. I didn't even fully understand all the, the ramifications of yes, but I just said yes. Yes, I want to follow you. Yes, I want a relationship with you. Yes, I want you to come into my life. And when I did that, my life has never been the same since. Here's what I will tell you. I'm not perfect. I'm a work in progress. My life hasn't been always been easy. Not every day makes sense. But in all those moments, I trust the God that loves me so much that he would die on a cross for my sins. And it's through him that I was saved, and it's in him that I live. And when I wake up on Monday after the most difficult days of my life, I still have purpose and reason to be here. And some of you have never felt that. Can I talk? I feel, I feel this. Somebody in this place feels like they're a mistake. You have no reason to live. And you've heard it over and over and over again. You heard it when you were a baby and a kid. You heard it in school. You've heard it at all of our campuses. And I, I just want to tell you, you're not a mistake. You're here for a reason. This day was not accidental. There's a God that is proud of you, that loves you more than you can imagine, that has a plan bigger than you can even comprehend. And he has given you a gift right now, friend, the gift of salvation. But here's the thing about a gift. It's a two-step process. The one that gives it, they push it towards you. The one that receives it has to take it. And the Bible says you take the gift of salvation through confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus is who I said he is today. And in that moment, you would be saved. What are you saved from? You are forgiven from your sins and you are saved from hell. The Bible says today when you pray that, your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. It's an e a, life of, uh, a book of eternity so that when you take your last breath here on this earth, that your next breath will be with God in heaven. And you don't get there because you're a good person. You get there because you're a saved person. And that God's here right now. Not an accident, not a mistake, not a person of shame and baggage. 
You're a son or daughter of the Most High. You ought to live forgiven and grace-filled. You should experience the mercy and the compassion of God. So as we, we leave this place, just like you physically reach your hands out to take a gift, we, we do that at church. And what we do is when I ask you here in a second, if that's you, nobody else is looking around. They got their own stuff to worry about. They got their own people they're praying for, their own work to be done. But you say, you know what? I'm not following Jesus Christ. And today he's calling me, and today I want to receive him as my Lord and Savior. And just like you would reach forward as a gift, uh, we're going to picture God above us, and we're going to reach to him with our hands, just straight up in the air, and say, hey, that's me. Today I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life, and I'm not going to pray a long, drawn-out religious prayer. I'm just going to agree with you. And when we pray, we're just going to say, Jesus, we love you. We believe in you, and we want to follow you. And when you do that, when you lift your hand up in faith, the Bible says you'll be saved. You'll be set free. It's the beginning of the best days of the rest of your life. Come on, you're not an accident. You were here for a reason. Don't let fear, don't let worry, don't let anxiety, don't let worried about what other people are going to say and think about you. Nobody else is even looking. But if that's you all over our campuses right there in Montgomeryville, Plymouth Meeting, Limerick, Royersford, online, right here in Phoenixville, the Spirit of God has given you a gift of salvation today, and you need to receive it. Come on all over this place, if that's you, if that's you, would you just begin to shoot your hand straight towards heaven and say, hey, I'm going to receive the gift of Jesus Christ right now. Y'all see a hand right over here to my right. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else say, hey, Pastor, that's me. I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ right now. I'm going to receive that gift. The Spirit of God is working on my heart more than the words. Come on, there's somebody in Plymouth meeting right now. Yes. We're going to wait for people at all the other campuses. Come on, maybe you're in Montgomeryville, and you say, hey, that's me. That's me. That's me. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Give him everything that I am. Let's begin to pray all over our houses as we wait for people to respond. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for those who continue to respond. Thank you for those that for the very first time are stepping out of the lies that Satan has spoken to them, that they're not an accident, that they aren't a creature that's going to carry around shame. That, that, that weariness and that, that tiredness that they struggle with, that they can't get past, Lord. That today is the day for the Bible says, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so, Lord, we're grateful that you're saving us. We're grateful that you've set us free. We're grateful that we're going to walk out of this place and our sins are going to be forgiven as far as the east is from the west. And Lord, I'm grateful that this is the best decision that they're ever going to make. Lord, this is the first day of the rest of their life. That you have purpose and you have meaning and you have, you have joy to bring out of their life. And Lord, we're grateful for all that you're going to do. And as we leave this place, Lord, we leave this place on mission. I want to teach this church that word. That we are a church on mission. That mission is our mindset. That everywhere we go, we share what you've done with us, Lord. It's too good to keep it to ourselves. You've changed us too much. Lord, we are too confident in what you've called us to, to not share it. But Lord, we're going to share it in a way that's effective and not just excellent. And Lord, we're grateful for those that are going to come with us over the next few weeks. I'm grateful for those that we're going to invite, and they're not going to come over the next few weeks, but we're going to plant that seed in their life, and Lord, you're going to bring the harvest from those words. And so, Lord, thank you for all that you're doing, all that you're going to continue to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Hey, church, one more time. Shout amen with me. Come on, let's clap together.